Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental, the Friday edition. Dan Lust, alongside my guy, Zach Bryson, back. Man of Steel, man. What's up, buddy? You know, we're glad to be back. Glad to take a break from dealing with my super massive bar study books, but uh, always much more interesting to be be on a podcast with, with you, Dan, and, and talk about sports instead of read a 40-page outline. So I'm going to go a little bit off script here, Zach. You did not expect me to say this, but um, we, we every once in a while, we have generally a pretty nice audience and people send us nice comments. And every once in a while, we get some kind of like nasty comments that come out of nowhere because we got a lot of lawyers, law students, and we had a, we had a you know, pretty supportive bunch. Last week, uh, I was on the podcast with uh, my guy. My, I got, we got a you know, couple friends in the podcast. Mike Kripchenko pops on and he's like, Hey, uh, he's like, you know, I'm getting good grades. I got A's so far, you know, in between me getting good grades and, and being on the podcast, I think, uh, you know, might help me get a job someday. So we apparently have someone that hate listens to the show because this anonymous troll person who doesn't have a name, who just has a, an egg, sent Mike a not so nice message that um, he would not get a job in sports no matter how hard he tried. And that was, um, I don't know if you're listening to this, whoever you are, um, that was a pretty... I think I could say that was a pretty shitty thing to say. A, it's not true because we actually have a pretty strong track record of getting jobs or helping people getting jobs or just being a general supportive system to help get jobs in any way, legal form. But I'm not sure the person that sits in their car or goes to the gym and listens to this podcast and then takes the time to find someone on a social media platform and send them a really nasty message. Like you gotta kind of reevaluate your life choice at that point. So you know, I, I don't understand the logic behind that. I think it was, again, a pretty shitty thing to do. So if that's you and you're listening to this, take a hard look in the mirror and ask yourself why why certain things are being done. That said, a little bit of a PSA. You know, uh, if you'd like to get the word out and we can um, maybe expand the ratios of terrible people versus really good people, share the episodes on LinkedIn. You can, uh, or on really whatever form of social media, tell a friend. You know, we're happy to expand our audience and happy to bring people into the fold. Um, some upcoming announcements. Again, uh, I'll put the little troll in the corner over here. Listen, you're you're in probation. If you want to send me a nice message and apologize, you could do that. And um, I think it would mean a lot to me and I don't know, to, to a lot of people because I was really messed up and I didn't blast you. I didn't uh, take a screenshot of those messages, which were insane. But um, here we are. So we're going to announce the 2024 Conic Detrimental Board. Oh, you've got a lot of law students across the country. We were trying to help out, put on, um, you know, put on a platform, so to speak. So yeah, uh, psychos like that are not appreciated, but people that want to get their name out uh, and help their job prospects, certainly happy to amplify that. Um, trying to do some good here, Zach. Listen, it's 2024. This this kind of troll's coming out of the gates hot. You didn't even know I was going to talk about this. I was ready. I was for for a week. I've been sitting on this. I've been pretty angry about it. Yeah, that's that's actually funny. Being you know on on this side, knowing all the people and, and seeing all the people that have gotten jobs in sports after after working with conduct or while working with conduct or as a result of writing or being on the podcast or whatever, plus all the people that are on the podcast that uh, have have given career advice to people. So it's that's definitely definitely out of left field uh, for the start of uh, 2024. Ooh. Not on my bingo card for the year, for sure. Good sports analogy with left field. Yeah, I was sitting. Um, so a little bit of uh, behind the scenes stuff. I was uh, I went away Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I'm sitting um, at the, the beach. You know, we went we went away. My wife and I, no kids, just like kind of out. And uh, I'm at the beach and my wife must have seen me getting really angry. She's like, what are you angry about? And I told you know, a little bit of white lies. So like, hey, I put my out of office on. No one's going to email me. 
not really true. Didn't put the out of office on, was emailing people the whole time. But she's like, what are you so angry about? You're supposed to not be working. I wasn't really working at that point. Um, I was working at different points. But I got this, uh, you know, Mike gave me the heads up. So shout out to Mike. Mike will be back on the podcast next week. This is not an Aaron Rodgers situation where Mike is kicked off the podcast in any way, shape or form. He's got some stuff to do. Um, so, you know, we have a rotating, uh, rotating seat here. But yeah, I was really pissed off about it. And um, again, if that's you, not a big fan of yours right now, but you're the doghouse, maybe potentially, possibly get out what we're going to do today we have a special guest amanda christovich is going to join us in the show amanda is one of the leading college sports reporters in the country one of my favorite people just generally in the nil space so she's going to come down i think the biggest story in sports at least this week florida state getting nailed with um, nil punishments some some could say it's the first nil punishment of the era so we'll talk about florida state florida state is maybe the loudest school in the conference realignment era in the college football playoff era and now all of a sudden they get hit with an nil punishment coincidence link Probably not. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the new NIL rules. We'll talk about the federal bill. Um, but we're going to save that for a specific segment. What I was told on our year-end recap episode, we have a lot of people listening to the show just for general sports law, a little bit of pros, a little bit of college. I'm told them we go very heavy college and we get into the weeds of like redefining the college sports era. We lose some people. So we'll always we'll always dabble. We'll do a little bit of pros, a little bit of NIL. Zach, you're shaking your head. Do you not like those people? Is that Do you think that's one of our troll people? He thinks that way? I... I... I understand that some people might think we go a little bit heavy on college sports, but that's just because right now with the NIL era, Dan, there's so much to go into. And with the rules changing all of the time, like we'll get into it a little bit, it constantly gives us new stuff to talk about. And well, this rule now contradicts that rule. What about this punishment? Does this make sense? So there's, there's a lot there. I don't think it's necessarily we're giving like preference. It's just, there's more consistent stuff coming out of it. Although uh, we, we still talk about plenty of other stuff as we will later today. I agree. I agree. Okay, so we're going to do and talk a lot about college sports at the end of the episode. For the front of the episode, I think two sports stories that other shows won't cover, we'll cover. Um, and then we kind of have a couple quick hitters. Um, a reminder, our show is sponsored by Themis Bar Review, top, rep, top bar prep company in the galaxy. Zach's using them. If I was a law student, I would use them. My law students at New York Law School and shout out to my new law students at Pace. I'll be teaching at Pace this semester. So a little bit of a double duty. I'm going to make them use Themis too because Themis is the best. If they don't want to use it, it's okay, but they should use Themis. Okay, real topics. We're going to talk about Los Angeles and really California's response to the Shohei Otani circumvention deal. We're going to talk about John Gruden's uh, ongoing battle in the Las Vegas courts to keep this case away from arbitration. We might hit it quick. I don't know if many people followed the story, but there is a somewhat of an, a, a secondary scandal with ESPN involving the submission of fake names to win Emmy Awards. Sounds pretty juicy. We will get into it. Zach, lead us off. You want to go with Otani or Gruden first? Dealer's choice. Hmm. You know, let's let's go with Gruden. We've talked about show, with uh, we've talked about Otani a little bit more recently. We've talked about Gruden, so good to get a little bit of a refresher there, and then uh, save the Otani one for just a few minutes later. Okay, the floor is yours, Zach. Lay, lay us up. What's the latest in the world? So I think I was on one of the last episodes where we talked about it. Um, with the Gruden case that's gone on, uh, it's still in still in federal court they're still trying to compel arbitration as required by the uh by the nfl and its bylaws and rules but the most recent thing that's occurred is that appeal by the league was denied and so they was supposed to be allowed to continue in uh in open court but that uh, was very short-lived as it's been appealed again so it's back on pause it's been going on since I think the lawsuit was filed in 2021, Dan, or maybe very early 2022. So it's it's a couple years old at this point. We're now in 2024, which is still crazy to to really think about. 
it's just another another wrench in in actually getting resolution. Another thing continuing to to keep it from from actually being heard or having any decision of any kind. So it's funny. I have a a case. Um, one of my bigger litigation cases. It's going to be up. The judge asked us to you know propose trial dates for April. It'll probably end up getting to June, July, just with different conflicts. But all of a sudden, like trial is going to be right upon us in a couple months. Now, this is what's going to happen with the Gruden case. And just, you know, I, I don't know how many, we have some new listeners, some old. The central crux of the Gruden case is who leaked those Gruden emails. Now, we've had um, Don Vinata on the show, on our show before, Seth Wickersham, two of ESPN's investigative reporters, who have some, yeah, I think it's in their reports. It's not our reports. It's, you know, again, we give the defamation class every week, like, that it might have been Dan Snyder that made the leak. There was someone from Rock Nation that might have done a leak. There's a lot of different people that, um, you know, uh, that are potentially attached to this leak in some way, shape, or form. So the emails again were emails that John Gruden sent while a member, while employed by ESPN as a broadcaster, that he sent to individuals employed by Washington, the then the Washington Redskins. So Washington had these emails on their server. And again, if you're an employee of a company, you have no expectation of, generally, I don't say all companies, but most companies who have no expectation of privacy, no expectation of privacy, an email sent on your company server. So, you know, while Dan Snyder's in the heart of, you know, Snydergate and Cheerleadergate and all this, you know, different stuff that Snyder's wrapped in, all of a sudden, these John Gruden emails that were sent to Washington employees get released and only, you know, a handful of emails. So... It's kind of odd. And at the time, John Gruden was the coach of the Raiders, has since been dismissed. So the question is, who who leaked these emails? Why were they leaked? And would Gruden is kind of, you know, I, I don't know if this is official, but my understanding from the general situation, he's trying to get access to all of the emails that were looked at in terms of the Washington investigation. So he could see the bad stuff that were said about other people and try and release those emails into the public discourse. So that, Zach, that is why this arbitration decision is so important, because if this case is fought between the private and, and you know large privacy walls that are arbitration, we're not really going to find out about discovery. We're not going to find out about these emails absent some sort of a, a leak or something like that. But there is a lot of juice to this case. And at some point, as kind of, I was kind of alluding to, this case is going to get a trial date because it's now you know seemingly going to be rambling down to open court. And it's going to be like, whoa. This case is in court all of a sudden. Like we, we've started to eliminate these little checkpoints, these little like intermediary battles, and we're just barreling down. Uh, and, and again, Gruden's going scorched earth. He doesn't want to settle this. So this is maybe it's 2024. I haven't seen the, the court's trial schedule. But if and when this gets to a showdown, a trial, like get ready, clear the deck. This is going to be absolute theater. So we're, we're telling our listeners to keep an eye on this case, and we'll continue to give you updates as we see them. Yeah, it's it's no surprise that the that the league is trying so hard to keep it out of open court, and that Gruden is trying so hard to keep it in open court. And the the more time that goes on, the more likely it looks like it's going to be in open court. And you're absolutely right, Dan. It's going to be super super interesting to sit there and and be able to to hear what's going on, see what's going on, have those emails once they're exposed, who sent them, and everything. Uh, and I think you know even after the lawsuit, there's still going to be ramifications and and ripples from this going forward into the future for sure i'm with you i'm with you so again something to watch i ask that i guess we've, we've probably done it on the show before but I, I think it's such an interesting legal question that's being fought here it's you know john gruden right when he was a he, he's claiming he didn't know about these arbitration clauses but essentially the argument is john gruden as a member of the espn broadcast crew 
is he subjected to an NFL arbitration clause when he's not a party to an NFL contract at the time those comments are made? Yes, he's a party to an NFL arbitration clause when he's a member of the Raiders, like, I don't know, five, seven years later, but not a member when he made those comments. And that the leak of those emails and the timing of the emails is probably the operative date. So it's kind of an interesting law school question. I've asked it. I don't know if I'll do it in the subsequent semesters, but I have asked a Gruden question of that ilk on previous final exams. So uh, again, if I, as I tell my students, if it comes up in class, might be responsible for the final. Okay, Zach, let us move over to Otani. Um, and time permitting, I'll, I'll tell you that this little nugget uh, as ESPN keeps finding ways, bad ways to stay in the headlines. But tell us in on, on what, what you've seen on Otani, the, the little bit that's been reported so far. Yeah, so... We have also touched on this on, on past episodes, but he's got a record-breaking contract with the Dodgers that he signed this uh, this offseason for $700 million over 10 years. But he is only going to get paid $2 million a year for the 10-year period of the contract, deferring $680 million of it until after he's, after he's done. So really creating a new Bobby Bonilla situation uh, going forward. And California is upset about this. Uh, why are they so upset about this, Dan? Well, that's because uh, it's been calculated that they are going to miss out on approximately $98 million of state taxes uh, because of this deferral if he is able to move out of the state after the contract ends. Uh, so that's obviously a very, very large amount of money that California wants to get its hands on. And it's gone so far as to petition Congress to fill gaps in the internal revenue service tax rules so that they can make sure that they're going to get a piece of this money because they want it, uh, want it that badly, which is just really interesting. It calls into question, you know, what was the purpose of his deferral? They obviously want it because of the tax implications. However, Dan, personally, I don't think this is something that's going to get closed up because even though there are huge tax implications here, I mean, $98 million is a bunch of money, no matter who you are, unless you're Shohei Otani. It's more than 98. Um, it's like, it's like 600 and change, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're, if you're Californian, you're getting close to a hundred million dollars in tax revenue. That's a, that's a lot of money for, for a state, let alone anyone. And to miss out on it would be, would be huge. But the, the, the issue that I see is there's so many valid reasons to do this that it's going to be really hard for anyone to, to impose limits on it. Uh, I mean, the, the reason that Shohei supposedly came up with this was so that the team wouldn't have to pay him all right away and could actually build a team around him so he didn't have a situation like the one he was, he was leaving. So absent a showing of just complete and utter bad faith, I don't, I don't think there's any way to really stop something like this from happening. I got a text, you know, speaking of push notifications, talk about it with Amanda momentarily. But, uh, you know, I, some people get push notifications for my stuff on Twitter. I get texts about it. And sometimes I wake up at 530 in the morning and I just, you know, I missed uh, what happened the night before. I tweet a lot of state out. I shouldn't curse, but tweet a lot of stuff out. I tweeted out this particular article on the Otani stuff. And an agent uh, friend of mine, I, I think he listens to the podcast, but he said, he said, like, this will never get closed. And I said, well, why? And he's like, do you know how many people are doing this outside of sports? Just because sports did it doesn't mean that the loophole should be closed. And, you know, it's probably going to set off some precedent, you know, in, in future contracts. And I think we've talked about it on the Otani episode. Like this contract was offered, I think, in some and substance by other teams. I think the reporting is the Giants offered a version of this contract. The Toronto Blue Jays offered a version of this contract. 
I believe the Angels did not, um, which head scratching is why the Angels wouldn't do exactly what everyone else is doing. But the Angels are the worst team in, in baseball, so you know it is what it is. But yeah, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not so convinced that it's going to close. But I think California had to do that and to respond in some way, shape, or form. So, yeah, I think it's worth worth following. But um, you know, that's the response. So I, I certainly think we'll see more of these contracts before the loophole gets closed. That's if the loophole gets closed. But um, yeah, we re- we report on it. I think that's a, you know, at some point we'll get Robert Rayola on. He's uh the official uh accountant of conduct detrimental does conduct detrimental's taxes. So um yeah, maybe we'll get Robert on to talk about it. But for now, I just I think it's an interesting story. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting. That would be that would be fun. Definitely not an expert in the tax code by any means, but it's it's just so interesting to me to see that California has such a problem with it. I mean, it obviously has to say something because it's so much money and they, they obviously want to get some of that tax revenue, but there was no problem whenever Bobby Bonilla did this, even though, you know, yes, the value of his deferrals was much, much lower, but there was no problem when he's been doing that for the past, I don't know, 20 years, regardless, there's, there's been no problem with it in the past. It's just because it's such a large amount of money here. And so I don't, I don't really think there's too much to, to, to raising all these alarm bells. And like we both kind of said, Dan, I don't think there's too much that's going to really come out of, uh, out of their appeal to the, to change the change the rules or close that, that loophole. Okay. I think we can end that there. Uh, as we record this on Friday, I have a large prop bet on the Sony open in Hawaii about uh, four players to make the cut. And one is very close to the cut sack. One is very close, dangerously close. So I apologize if I'm, a little distracted here, but he's on the 17th hole. We need a birdie, Zach. We need a birdie. We're in trouble. Okay. So um fingers crossed. I appreciate that. Let's let's talk about this one quick. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to, you know, I've gone on ESPN like regional outlets and whatnot. Like I don't want, you know, make slander ESPN in any way, shape, or form, but it's a big story. And I, I think it's I don't know, an interesting one. Um, we're not gonna cover the whole back and forth. I think we covered a lot of McAfee and Kimmel and Rogers last week. Rogers, there was an announcement he wasn't going to be back on the show again. Because, and then people said, "Oh, uh, McAfee is is bending the knee, and you know he's is kind of caving to ESPN." And then it was like, "Well, he doesn't come on; he only comes on during the regular season." So, and then you know Rogers is coming back on. So, the long and short, um, McAfee is uh, watch the McAfee situation closely. And there's nothing legal here for us to cover, other than just a lot of drama. But McAfee is flying very close to the sun um people pointed out um some pictures uh first of all i guess we should say congrats to michigan once upon a time on this podcast i think it was with you zach but you can correct me if i'm wrong i said i think it'd be a great story for our purposes if michigan uh went on to win the national championship if they're going to vacate the trophy or not we're not going to talk about it with amanda but uh, i joke i have a lot of michigan people in my life and i said they're like do you think they're going to vacate the title and i'm like well you hear what charlie baker said charlie baker said uh you know, they basically gave them their kudos that they deserve to win the title. So I think if the Michigan sign stealing stuff had come out, um, a little quick, quick off topic for a second, but I think if the Michigan sign stealing stuff had came out after uh, the national championship, I do think there's a world that it can be vacated. But the fact that like they beat Ohio State after, you know, while Harbaugh was suspended, they won in the whole college football playoff run. They won the Big Ten title, you know, uh, while, you know, while Harbaugh wasn't around uh, and then obviously made the run in the national championship. I don't think he's going to get suspended, but I digress. Apparently there was a photo taken during the festivities, during the Michigan festivities of McAfee with, a, with an even higher ranking official at ESPN that wasn't named Norby Williamson. And it was like, 
everything's all good in the family. Like we're good. So he like McAfee posing with another ESPN guy. And he has this fight with Norby over here. Who's lower on the totem pole. So McAfee's flying very close to the sun. I, I just pointed out, we have not seen a scenario like this in sports. And a lot of people, you know, the, the former ESPN people we talked about a little in the podcast last week are really pumping it up. So I, I there is some ESPN stuff brewing. Zach, I, I think I, I told you about it offline. I, I, were you familiar? Uh, I'll give you the headline. Quote, ESPN apologizes for decades long Emmy Awards scheme. Have you heard this at all? I had actually not heard about this, but the, the headline, whenever you mentioned it earlier, was was definitely intriguing. It was intriguing. We're not going to talk about the guy that went into a, like a, a Bass Pro Shop naked and jumped into the fish pool. I mean, that's technically a sports story. I'm not bringing it up here. You know, we have we have some standards here. Uh, I'll just read the quote from Sports Illustrated. And again, the credit on this goes to former guest of the show, Katie Strang over at The Athletic, I think, had the initial reporting. But uh, I'll read this is from the SI article. Quote, ESPN has issued an apology to the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences in light of a report that the network submitted fake names for Emmy Awards consideration and had to return 37 trophies given to on-air talent as a result. Sounds pretty juicy. I dug into it a little bit more. It's not, you know, maybe people can be the judge. I didn't think it was as crazy. It seems like there was a scheme and ESPN has apologized for it. And, you know, so I don't know if it's, we don't have to say alleged anymore. For our purposes, we'll be safe. We'll say alleged. ESPN was alleged to have submitted fake names that seemed to resemble like Lee Corso. But instead of saying Lee Corso, it would say like, Lee Crane, or instead of saying like, you know, Reese Davis, it would say like Rick Davis. And those people would be identified as associate producers on College Game Day. And when they would submit awards for College Game Day, I guess all the associate producers would get Emmys. So according to this athletic article, ESPN College Game Day would legitimately win these awards. But there were like fake producers that were being winning these awards and getting Emmy trophies. And then these trophies would have these nameplates that would say like, you know, like instead of Reese Davis, Rick Davis. And then like they'd go to the local trophy shop, switch off Rick Davis. They have a real Emmy and put on Reese Davis. So fraud is not good. Fraud is bad. I highly uh, suggest and recommend that people don't engage in fraud. Um, you know, it, the Emmys are, are a real trophy. I'm, I'm not sure of the monetary damage of producing extra Emmys. I'm sure they got a bunch lying around somewhere, but not a good look for ESPN and what has been a two or three weeks of just a lot of non-traditional ESPN headlines, but I, I, it is interesting enough. And they named the people by name that were alleged to be behind this, uh, the scheme. Um, not good, not good. ESPN and a fraud. It is a fraudulent allegation to be named in the same sentence and awards. I mean, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, it's, it sounds bad, but it also, the, whenever, whenever you explain it, it's also kind of, kind of funny in, in my opinion, at least because it, it's, they won the awards like there's no no contest. They actually won the Emmys. They just had an extra Emmy given to them out of the, you know, if there was 12 people, instead of having 12 trophies to give, they had 13. And so someone's just sitting in the ESPN headquarters with an extra Emmy sitting on their desk, I guess. Well, you're a glass half full guy. I mean, the other way is to say that ESPN lied and made fake names to give people fake honors. This is a quote, you know, from this, uh, from the article. I mean, it, uh, yeah, we don't get need to get into further. You you guys know what it is, but like you know, instead of like Aaron Andrews, they'd give they'd submit an associate producer whose name was Eric Andrews, and like you know, maybe someone should have figured it out. Maybe like, but ESPN actually, I give credit to them in, in a well written statement. They said like 
there was no fraud involved in getting the awards. It wasn't ballot stuffing or anything like this. It was just like we wanted to find a way to recognize on-air talent because someone like Erin Andrews, right? You know, I think it's been well-documented. She's very much a part in her prep for all the stuff. Reese Davis, um, everyone behind the scenes, like they're helping with production. So maybe they should be honored for that, but that wasn't the any criterion. So, yeah, I mean, I like to, on the, on the sports little show, I like to talk about ethics. Uh, you know, I think this is definitely an ethical issue. Is it on the top of the line? Like, should someone get disbarred for doing this? In the legal professions, act, you might get disbarred for doing something like this. You might. Like, so, you know, I want to tell people, don't don't, don't fade, submit fake awards for your, uh, you know, the, the conduct detrimental 10 under 10 coming soon. Don't do that. But, like, for ESPN, I guess, I don't, it doesn't seem like people are losing jobs over this. Yeah, I'm, it's it's definitely still still wrong and an ethical violation and it's definitely still fraud i mean if you meet the if you meet the elements it's fraud regardless of if it's humorous to to people on the outside or not definitely something that they shouldn't have done it's definitely good that they came clean and and said that this had happened and why it was happening and even if it's for a you know what you would call a good cause or not still still not okay not above the board and it's good that they recognized it and said and said, hey, this is happening. This shouldn't have been happening. You should, we should give these trophies back. Okay, so I think that's a good place to put it. And, and I'll, I'll say that, I'm not going to mention their names, but it's a current ESPN vice president, a former senior vice president, and a current college game day coordinating producer. So of those three, one no longer worked at ESPN. I think the other two are continuing to work with ESPN. So what we have, potentially, potentially, is someone that's not affiliated with ESPN, uh, maybe spilling the beans elsewhere and the word gets out. Okay, so that'll bring us uh, to our next topic and our special guest. It's Amanda Kristovich of Front Office Sports. Um, again, I mentioned at the top, the biggest story in college sports is really Florida State's NIL punishment. The tie-in, uh, and Amanda can certainly talk about it. Um, Florida State, a, a player that was considering transfer to Florida State is, is the guy that's at the center of all this. So be it as you may, uh, it is an odd an odd scenario that, uh, you know, Florida State's alleged to have broken the rules to try to land a recruit who doesn't even go there. And Zach, rest assured, had the guy gone to Florida State, these secrets wouldn't be getting out. And so, you know, uh, we'll talk about my creative solution uh, momentarily. So, yeah, um, I think it's a, a good time to kick it over to Amanda. Again, Amanda Kristovich, um, she's fantastic. She's really, I don't know, we want to call her a rising star at this point. She's just kind of a star. She's fantastic. Uh, she's all over it. I highly suggest doing exactly what I do with Amanda and getting push notifications anytime she sends out one of her fantastic, fantastic articles. So lovely to see Amanda um, making great strides in the space. Um, Amanda's been coming on our show for about two years. So it's great. Great to see her blowing up. Um, with that said, let us kick it over to our interview with Amanda Kristovich of Front Office Sports. Amanda, welcome back to Conduct Detrimental. It has been a minute. How have you been? How's your new year going? You know, never a slow day. And uh, you, you, it was like, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I had a quote that Front Office Sports ran with and made like this whole graphic about, about how I was like, every January, I wonder, could the beat that I cover get any more ridiculous? And every year the answer is yes. Uh, and they like blew that up and put it on a graphic and all my friends thought it was really funny. So that's how I'm doing. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. You know, it's like sometimes I think about college sports as like that Simpsons graphic when it's just like, stop it, stop it. He's already dead. It's like every day the NCA is being chipped away a little bit and we're losing a little bit of that. What was just like, I don't want to say boring old college sports, but like the college sports that we had for like decades on decades. So listen, I'm all, I'm all for change, but I feel like every other day there is something like seismic that a clients are calling me about. And I'm like, 
man, I'm just like trying to get a breath here, trying to catch up. And then it's just more and more and more. But Amanda, that's why we have the podcast. That's why we have you. And uh, we wanted to have you on here to break down a little bit of the latest in college sports, which has been a whirlwind, um, I'd say, since 2024 hit. Yes, I would agree. And even before and before we get started, I have one big complaint to wage to the lawyer community, which is that why do you guys always file documents right before vacations and days off and the Friday night dump is killing me? So that's my PSA for uh, for your listeners. Friday night day dumps. The, journal, the journalists suffer, too. <laughs> That sounded like there was a question in there, and then it just kind of morphed into just like a general complaint against lawyers. So, um, duly noted, duly noted. Um, we also didn't. We also should talk about Amanda. Your favorite quote that was not your quote. The the uh, the Harbaugh quote, not calling lawyers big law like law firms. He just said the lawyers that work in the tall buildings, tall building lawyers. Tall building law firms. I yeah, love yeah. that. Tall building lawyers. Um, it's yeah, it's great. It's great. I love it. Um, okay, so apologies on behalf of the legal profession for filing stuff and making your life difficult. But also in another world, we're also creating news stories for you and making you invaluable to front office sports. So you know what? You're welcome. Okay. As the as the great Maui once said in Moana, what can I say except you're welcome? Okay. Amanda, we have you here to talk uh, the the biggest stories in college sports. I think we'd be doing our listeners a disservice if we didn't start with what I think is uh, the biggest story right now, that is the NIL punishment on Florida State. Um, I know you have an article out now on front office sports, but the floor is yours. Tell us about what, what you've learned about Florida State um, and how this kind of fits into the larger grand scheme of college sports and NIL. Yeah, so this is the not this is not the first NIL related infraction. Obviously, we will all remember uh, what happened with the Cavender twins. Um, and you and I obviously spoke at the time um, about that. But I believe this is the first NIL like infraction where the NCA could prove that NIL was used as a recruiting inducement. So the story is like pretty simple, essentially a player. Uh, who was considering transferring to Florida State, decided, um, you know, to take a visit. And he met with an assistant coach who it's been reported. Uh, it was the offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator ended up uh, bringing him to a meeting with a booster. Uh, the booster offered him a $15,000 a month deal, uh, NIL deal, if he... Uh, came to the Seminoles, and then the athlete was like, great, cool. He left. Uh, he ended up not even transferring. NCAA caught wind of this, and they've handed down all these different punishments. Um, none of them are, like, vacating wins or, or anything like that. The player himself isn't being punished. The most interesting thing to me is that the collective and the booster are being required to disassociate, although... I guess the collective can still like offer NIL deals. So that's kind of weird and doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, I have thoughts about what this means for the NCAA as a whole, but that is kind of like the big picture. And I'm sure as your listeners already know, the big question is why FSU? Because it's pretty clear that everybody's doing this. There are several answers we can discuss. I think one of them is that FSU got caught. Like they were able to get FSU to agree to this negotiated resolution. Before we go there, we have some thoughts there. Zach, uh, I want you to jump in here. I know you had a, you had a good question. 
Yeah, one of the things that one of the things that Amanda said uh, there at the at the kind of beginning of that was it's the first one that they can that the NCAA could prove, which I think is a you know a really big point to make. Uh, kind of when we are talking about why it happened, why FSU and everything, but could prove is a I think a really big point here because it is something that seems pretty pervasive throughout college sports from my perspective, and I mean it's it's something that you can see across the board, not just with the big sports, but all sorts of sports, but especially something like football. Uh, a great example is uh, Sam Hartman was at Wake Forest, went to Notre Dame for his last year of eligibility. It is pretty clear to anyone that's looking at that situation. That was probably for NIL purposes, uh, but it's it, it can't be proven. So, just how pervasive? Well, I'm I'm half I'm half smiling, and I think Amanda might know what like. Myth and I spoke um, about a year ago, uh, a little like 11 months ago when the Miami stuff happened. I'm like, oh, what a coincidence. The only school that gets punished, and I like how many of you phrase it, like NIL-related punishments. Like Miami was an NIL punishment, but like, I don't know, I guess it kind of wasn't, it kind of was because it was pre-NIL era, but like we knew what it was. But Miami got punished because um, there was a very loud violation, put it that way, involving the Cavender twins and John Ruiz and John Ruiz, you know, tweeting i think at the time it was still called tweeting now i guess you call it posting on on x it's still but, um i guess it's still true i still call it twitter i don't call it x but um john Ruiz said the nca will cease to exist and okay you start threatening the nca's existence and you're tweeting out uh what appear to be clear inducements then like okay nca is going to come after you so i i find this part to be interesting man and i love your thoughts here so zach you're saying could prove i might even dare to say like the nca took the time to prove um could prove is a leap but like i don't know you could prove anything if you take the time and you interview witnesses and like i, I think fsu the timing of this is really suspect amanda you didn't say and I'm, I'm i'm i think you you and i are probably in the same sense like fsu is making a lot of noise fsu is having politicians yeah. involved to to get you know get back into the college football playoff congrats you guys got blown out by georgia i know everyone's gonna yell at me that that's my take but you know the clearly you know, the scoreboard was the scoreboard. And then number two, uh, making a lot of noise defecting from your conference. And if Florida succeeds in that, in that, you know, a case to get another conference, it's going to set off a whole system of anarchy in the NCAA. So I don't think it's a coincidence that it was Miami first. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's Florida State second. Uh, granted, you know, the timeline of this dates back a couple weeks, months before all this, you know, the recent wave of Florida State stuff happened. But um, I don't view that to be a coincidence at all. Um, Amanda, I'm I'm hesitant to ask you for your thoughts here. Are you allowed to opine on this? Is this, are you allowed to? Is Adam and the front office crew getting mad if you opine on this? As in, like, give my opinion? Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, ultimately, I think the column that I wrote on it was an opinion. So, if you have a more specific question, feel free to throw it at me. Well, but I'm like, gonna... otherwise, I could oh. just like go. I could just go off. Go ahead, Amanda. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go off. Okay, so like my opinion on this is that, yeah, also to Zach's point, this is 100% an extremely pervasive thing. Um, and I think that everybody on the internet last night was saying that if a booster meeting with an athlete before, you know, who's a potential transfer and saying how much money they could potentially make, you know, is a legitimate NCAA recruiting violation, then literally everyone is in violation. I think that there are a lot of collectives who have ways around that. There are collectives, for example, right? The collective could call a coach and say, hey, this is how much money we have to offer. And then the coach could just tell the athlete, 
instead of the athlete talking directly to the collective. What's the difference, right? But ultimately, like, well, the difference is, is they're technically within the rules by doing that. Ultimately, though, like schools across the country are doing this. It is not, in my opinion, the biggest issue the NCAA should be investigating. So the reason I think they did it is because they are losing control over their membership. They are very hamstrung by Alston, which we've talked about a lot. They are terrified of um, putting actual legitimate rules in place and restrictions in place. And you can see that that happened because of um, the NIL rules that they passed like this week. The registrar that they're creating is literally voluntary. Okay. Um, most of the, the quote unquote un uniform contract they wanted to create also a recommendation, not a required contract. So all these rules that they passed, like they're just like not that intense to be honest with you. And uh, I feel like there are other components of these rules that I'm missing. I believe they talked about um, financial penalties for infractions that like could make this worse in the future. I believe they also talked about allowing uh, schools and sort of like their employee, their athletic department employees to be able to talk to companies and, and kind of help facilitate those deals for athletes, which was, by the way, something they said they couldn't do um, before. But ultimately, my my point is, is that FSU is showing us that the NCAA is trying to act like it has control when it really doesn't. Um, because is it really going to be able to invest, investigate every single school that has this problem? No. Is it going to be able to stop it? No. Are a lot of schools going to be deterred by this? I think, you know, I, I think there's the argument that, that Dan, you made today in your comments to me, but also in general, that like there are schools that will still get scared by the NCA. They don't want to deal with the PR fallout. But ultimately, like, I think a lot of schools are just going to say, screw it. We don't care. So I, I think this is the part that I want to kind of lean into. And, I, and you, you and I spoke about it a little bit offline. So I haven't seen this talked about on Twitter. Um, I save these comments nowadays for the podcast. I, I think it should be addressed that the student or the athlete in question that, that got Florida State in trouble is a student that didn't end up going to Florida State. Yes. In the real world, if we were, someone was like, you know, potentially are, you know, coming up with a deal and, and uh, like a non-sports non and you know, I was taking a meeting with like, let's say Zach was the head of um, Adidas and Zach and Adidas had this great idea. And they go, Dan, we want you to come in. We have this great idea for a new show. It's called like Lust Court or something really cool. And Adidas has this idea for us ready to go. But Adidas doesn't want to tell me that idea. Adidas would generally, not all the time, depends on the relationship, but would ask me to sign an NDA, you know, a non-disclosure agreement that would prevent me from sharing you know, the, the substance of that meeting and, and, you know, kind of make me sign on to confidentiality and then they'd have the meeting. So I don't believe this is the case. I haven't seen it. I don't, I don't think this is the case right now in the NIL world. Um, but I, what I do think could be the, the outcome of this is that these collectives and these schools, when they meet with players, they have them sign NDAs because if the school, if the player doesn't end up going to the school, there's no allegiance to that particular school, to that particular I don't know, it's that particular coach. So, I, Amanda, you might know more than, than Zach and I would on this particular topic, but I am curious if collectives, they just, in schools, they get smarter with these meetings. 
you know, if, if someone's going to come into the roof and learn the secrets and get in the, co- in the car with coaches, right. It's just really just for convenience at a certain point, but you know, there, there are ways in the corporate world to prevent against the dissemination and disclosure of information. So I don't know who's listening to this, but that's, that is a way to get around this crazy scenario. I just want to point that out. The lawyers, you know, I don't, we don't mean to make things more difficult, but if you can't trust people in your building, you know, that's, that's how to, that's how to get around it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree that that is potentially a way to get around it. Um, I also think that the point that you made about the fact that the player didn't even end up transferring. Um, by the way, it's not that he didn't transfer to FSU. He didn't transfer at all. He went back to his original program. Just shows that this is not the most egregious violation that is happening. Can I tell you something? That's like potentially the biggest Trojan horse. They're like, hey, I'm going to pretend to transfer. Get all the secrets of Florida State. Get them in trouble. And then I'm coming back to the school. Trojan horse. I mean, maybe he was a plant. That's a conspiracy theory I actually haven't seen. So let's look that's why, into that. That's why they come to the podcast. But honestly, no, it's like that in and of itself shows that this is the NCAA trying to fake that it has control because it, it is literally just picking whatever NIL violation could prove. The first one it could prove, regardless of how egregious it was. Um, and and it's and and then put it on its website, right? And then there's one other thing about that that I wanted to add, um, which is the idea of the negotiated resolution, as in Florida State and the NCAA agreed to cooperate on this and FSU agreed to the penalties in advance and they like theoretically negotiated. It was like, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of like more of an arbitration thing. If you want to make a comparison there, the reason that the NCAA is doing that is because FSU can't then turn around and sue because FSU has agreed to it. So again, I, I doubt that a school that does not agree to a negotiated resolution says, screw you, investigate me if like at your peril. And then, and we'll, meanwhile, we'll lawyer up and go, you know, to like court uh, with all the other lawsuits that you have about antitrust, um, like go for it. Like they're not going to pursue that. Right. Why would they? Yeah, so it sounds it sounds a lot like the NCAA is is trying to cling to that that old way of, of operating and, and showing that it still has power whenever it really doesn't and is just it's all just like a big show. Is that what it, that's what it kind of sounds like? It, it it really is from from your explanations. That sound accurate, Amanda? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think that it's it's just a way to check a box almost like to show the membership that they are investigating NIL, they're trying to keep pay for play out of it, but everybody knows that they can't. And they're also trying to do it without getting sued, which everybody knows that they can't. So, and that's to um, say nothing of the public opinion. So let's just run quickly through what the punish, what the actual points of discipline are. And Zach, a credit to here, a suspension of Atkins for the first three games of the 2024 season, two years of probation. I'm going to rattle through these. Scholarship reductions of 5% over the next two academic years, a reduction by seven in terms of official recruiting visits for next year, a prohibition on recruiting communication for six weeks over the next two years, so on and so forth, a reduction by 18 evaluation days, a financial penalty of 1% of the athletic department's budget. These are big. I think they're big in their scheme. Maybe they're like in in each individual, like 1% of the athletic department's budget. Like, I don't know, the athletic department makes a ton of money at 1%. Probably is not going to hurt you, but it's still a, still a ton of money. It's the message that it sends, right? Um, Amanda, you were on the show about a year ago, and people can go through the archives. 
you know, Miami, my, my understanding is that the investigation into Miami um, was much bigger than women's basketball, that it touched sports that were not women's basketball and the negotiated resolution solely pertained to women's basketball. So yeah, Miami agreed to this negotiated resolution. I, I'm not saying this, but it's the optics are because it only touched one sport and that sport wasn't men's basketball or football. This is interesting in the sense that it's our first football punishment. So I do think that this is, um, I don't know if it's precedent setting, but enough to be paying attention to that Florida State was willing to take this. And this is Florida State who's in the middle of everything. And, I, and I'm, if we didn't say it before, I think it's important. At the time when Miami was punished, they were the school making the most noise in terms of NIL with their affiliation yep. with Ruiz and a lot of stuff they were doing. And Florida right. State is making the most noise, the most noise right about now in terms of the college football playoff, in terms of money, in terms of transfers, the coach was – Florida State's been making a lot of noise, and, you know, sometimes for good reason, but uh, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. So that's – I want to be clear on that. I, I think it's – if Florida State wanted to say that this was selective enforcement, I think they, they probably could. Um, but to the point that Zach raised, which I think is a good one, it's like, are you really going to go after every school for this particular offense? Like – I, I'm not quite sure, and Amanda, maybe you know this, and I'm going to have to spend so much more time on it, but wh where do you think Florida State crossed the line, if at all, in terms of doing stuff that made, like, I think we can all agree that this type of conduct is happening at other schools, but do you think Florida State crossed the line in any way, shape, or form? Like, we could say Michigan probably crossed the line when it came to the sign stealing. Yeah, maybe everyone was doing it, but I'm not sure people had a Connor Stallions. Do you think Florida State crossed the line in, in any way, shape, or form, or, or do you think this is just kind of status quo everywhere? I mean, I really don't like that's what was so surprising to me um, when I was reading this. I think maybe the the reason and this was like pointed out to me, this isn't like my original thought, but maybe what crossed the line was the fact that the coach lied to the NCAA about it. Um, like the cover up was worse than the crime. And like that's what caused the NCAA to like really go after FSU because like taking a prospective player to a meeting with an NIL collective and a coach like and a coach facilitating that meeting is against the rules right but like again everybody's doing it and even if you're not doing it even if you're finding ways to get that information about potential compensation to athletes you know via other means like again that doesn't mean that it's not still a factor in their decision making even if you don't talk about NIL at all the kid is still googling who the NIL collective is, how much the other players are getting paid if they can find that, you know, I, I mean, like the idea that NIL is not an inducement, a factor in a decision is ridiculous. So the question is just how the athlete is getting the information and whether that is by the book. Honestly, I really didn't see anything in, you know, in my initial read of this, that that egregious compared to what other people are doing. Like my thing is, and again, I haven't, found or seen this but it's like there is going to be a systematic rule breaking you know a, a collective that is systematically breaking the rules a collective that is doing really shady stuff and that is going to be you know I, I don't know why that isn't what the NCAA is paying attention to instead of these one-offs because it's also not like they came out and said there was a pattern of this it was literally just like all they could prove was the one meeting like we touched on earlier, I think it's definitely a, a great showing of them just trying to flex their muscles and show that they still have some illusion of control. But with that and then trying to, and because we're talking about it, failing to really assert that they have control over the situation, 
uh, by calling out this, you know, one-off instead of pervasive. What, in your opinion, if any, uh, future does the NCAA have? Like, do you think that, you know, things like this continuing to happen and then trying to institute new rules that don't really have effect uh, or trying to send a message, like Dan said, with this specific punishment, do you really think long-term the NCAA is going to continue to survive in its current form? Is it going to change, or do you think it's really going to end up going away, at least for uh, at least for major major sports like football? Uh, that is the million-dollar question, billion-dollar question, $14 billion question. I think, look, the short answer to that, especially as it pertains to NIL, in my opinion, is that it's up to Congress. Because if Congress doesn't give the NCAA some sort of um, antitrust exemption, some sort of antitrust protection, at least, which is what they're calling it now, as if that's somehow different. Um, I don't think it is. They literally will not be able to enforce any of their rules. I mean, and the other thing, which is something that we talked about or that I wrote about a while ago, is that like the state laws in some places are diametrically opposed to some of the NCA rules and the NCA is coming out and saying you should follow the NCA rules not your state laws and it's like um no actually pretty sure that the uh state law usurps like a private entity's rules right so they can write whatever rules they want they can try to punish whoever they want again without a negotiated resolution they are going to be taken to court. Ruiz threatened to set, take them to court even with the negotiated re re resolution, even when Ruiz wasn't even asked to disassociate, which this collective did, is, did, right? Did, did Ruiz take anyone to court? No, no, he didn't. He did not. But like the re part of the reason he didn't is because it didn't matter to Miami because it was like a slap on the wrist and the Cavender twins three days later were like making TikToks about it. And then a year later... Neither of them are playing for Miami anymore. So, you know, exactly. yeah. I mean, I want to leave you with this one. Speaking of uh, rules of a private association versus law, we, we should touch on it. Um, I know you, I, as you know, man, I've, I've admitted to this. I get push notifications for anything that you do on uh, Twitter. So um, I see everything that you put out. There was a new federal law that was put out um, this week by Bill Rackus. Uh, Bill Rackus has a federal law, Baker's proposal to have direct NIL payments to athletes. Um, I guess it passed its first preliminary test. Um, now, I guess you're going to start drafting rules to put that one into play. Uh, you can tell, tell us as much as you want about this new federal law. I try not to spend too, so much time with the federal laws because so far none have proven to be worthwhile. Yep. Do you sense that there is that either of these is realistic, that Baker's proposal is actually going to go into fruition or um, a federal law is making any real signs of momentum, not like just like, hey, there's a new draft of a new bill like it may or may or may not be good do you, do you sense any momentum from either of those two sides i sense momentum with baker's proposal but in the sense that it's like a very slippery slope for him that doesn't mean it's a bad i mean in and of itself the proposal doesn't really make a lot of sense um that we is called that the, we called that the or taryn coined the super ncaa that's uh that's the term yes. for proposal Yes. So it, it, it just essentially what he's trying to do is to placate the people who are saying that athletes should get more in this, you know, semi pro situation where they're generating billions of dollars, but preserve the concept of them not being employees. That is probably not going to work, in my opinion. 
Um, and I literally was sitting in um, an administrative law courtroom, but still a courtroom a few weeks ago before Christmas, listening to lawyers uh, use Charlie Baker's proposal against the NCAA in trying to argue that athletes should be employees. So do I think it has momentum? Yes, but I, I think it has momentum to the extent that like, it's gonna go way farther than Baker actually wants it to go. And then as for the federal laws, I can tell you that the lobbying machine that the NCAA has is very sophisticated. I've done a lot of reporting on it and stay tuned for more on that. But ultimately, like <laughs> I have CNN on right now, like, come on guys, like Congress is not passing any NIL law in any time soon. It's an election year. Like the Iowa caucus is on what Monday and they like can't even get in the streets because there's a snowstorm. We might ha go to war with the Middle East more than we already are. So like, I think uh, this is not really the priority and we all think it's the priority. We forget, right? It's like the, con the, the question is like, is there a law that is going to be worth it? Like that is going to be good enough. That is going to be this or that that's not the right question to be asking. The right question to be asking is, does Congress have the momentum to deal with anything college sports and NIL related? And to me, the answer is no. And by the way, even if they did, they're so incompetent and incapable, <laughs> like they can't pass anything. So there you go. Well said, Amanda. Well, we've kept you long enough. We want to be mindful of your time on this lovely Friday. Amanda, thank you very much for joining us. And don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on soon enough. But can, uh, congrats on all of your accolades and continue to cover that College sports law be. I feel like you'll you've got your honorary JD at this point. Now you're just getting your LLM if you want it. But uh, oh no, that means all for him. It's all good. Thank um, you. Thank you for having okay. me. Okay. Thanks, Amanda. So that was Amanda Kristovich of Front Office Sports. You can find her on Twitter at a Kristovich with two H's. She's great. Love Amanda. Um. Okay. So um. Yeah. Amanda lays it down. I think we've covered all the pro sports stuff, all the college sports stuff. I think if we're taking an unofficial poll, if this was a uh, bigger college sports week, I tend to think it was, but we're always paying attention to all the stories across the space. If there's, for whatever reason, a story that we have not covered that you'd like us to cover, we certainly can. I know I got a, I'm doing a panel with Sports Lawyers Association on streaming sports issues in about a month, January 31st in New York City. I put that out on LinkedIn. If people want more information, I'm certainly happy to provide it. But yeah, if you have a topic that we have not been covering, certainly let me know and listen. This is an equal opportunity uh, outlet over here. If you want to cover it, you think you can cover something better than we can cover it, by all means, come on down. Unless you're that uh, asshole troll that I called out in the first segment. You're not invited back on, but I might not be mad at you. I still might be a little bit. Okay, so uh, Better Edge, the Better Best, uh, Better Edge Best Bet segment of the week. Zach, I'm going to let you kick it off. This is going to be the NFL Futures Edition. So we're sitting there, sitting here recording this on Friday, January 12th. The playoffs have not started. Zach, I need a futures pick for you. You can give me the conference championship. You can give me Super Bowl participants, Super Bowl winner, whatever you want. You got to give me one, though. You know, I am a 49ers fan. I've been a fan for a while. Uh, I've got to go with 49ers to make it to the Super Bowl. Um, not just because I'm a fan and believing blindly in Brock Purdy, but I, I think they have a really, really good shot. Odds seem to agree with me, so that's definitely one of the teams I'm going to go with. You know, I think as much as as much as I really don't want to see the Ravens play the 49ers in the Super Bowl, I think that that might be what we get, Dan. Uh, so I think my pick for the Super Bowl is going to be uh, San Francisco and the Ravens. Hopefully, if that is the case, that 
you know, Brock Purdy doesn't throw another four interceptions. Uh, that would be great if it was uh, not the case, but we'll, we'll see. And regardless, I'm hoping to see the 49ers in the, in the game. Bold predictions, Zach. Chalk and chalk. Minus 130 for the Niners to make the Super Bowl. Plus 120 for the Ravens. See, that's interesting that the Niners have the best odds in all of football to make the Super Bowl ahead of the Ravens. Interesting. I uh, I might have looked up those odds. That's plus 300 for the Ravens and Niners to meet. And I know you subscribe to that color theory. That is the Super Bowl colors um, have been correct for two years in a row, be it the Bengals Rams and last year Eagles Chiefs. And this year, at the start of the year, they were 49ers red and Ravens purple. So I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Um, I'm going to get a little more uh, daring with my bet. Um, so I, uh, you know, I think I've said it on the podcast that I've had, I've won, I won all my Bills playoffs futures. People are like, oh, Bills playoffs futures. I got that at four to one. Some shops had it five to one. If I was smart, I would have grabbed the Super Bowl odds at that time, which I just didn't think of it. I thought four to one, five to one. That's enough for me. At the time, I looked it up in retrospect. Bills, Bills to win the Super Bowl was 40 to 1. And that was whenever Alabama got picked for the college football playoff that weekend. That's, that's how recent it was. It was like five weeks ago. It really wasn't that long ago. That said, uh, I'm going back to the Bills bandwagon. Um, you can tell me on this. I have some Bills Super Bowl futures. I actually, Zach, we're going to have a little bit of a wager between us. Because I don't think the Niners are making it to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're making it to the big dance. I have to go with the Bills. I'm just contractually obligated to uh, my law firm does uh, – we, we are affiliated with a member of the Buffalo Bills. I will not mention their name. I'm not – I don't think I'm allowed to, so I won't say that. But I support I support the Bills. I also do some work with guys on the Ravens. But listen, I'm a Bills fan through and through. I think the Bills are going to make the Super Bowl, and I think their opponent, Zach. Are you ready for this? I'm I'm ready, Dan. The Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I grabbed that at 24-1 to 1, uh, last week. Um, you can grab that now at 16-1. to 1. I'm sensing it, Zach. I'm sensing this is the year. I mean, you want to you hear? Listen, here's some numbers. I'm not just throwing out random things. Um, the Bills, with their new offensive coordinator, um, since they got rid of uh, Ken Dorsey and they signed up Joe Brady, they're 6-1 and one under the new offensive coordinator. All those bad Bills losses when they were losing, and it's like, what are the Bills doing? How they're losing to the Jags, all these crazy losses. Old offensive coordinator. In the new Bills era, the Bills are great. 6-1, and one, Josh Allen's unstoppable. Now, the other part about the Dak Prescott side, if you just look at the numbers and you compare, uh, compare a blind paper resume – Dak Prescott over here, Lamar Jackson over here, not in dispute. Dak Prescott has better numbers than Lamar Jackson. He just does. Maybe part of it's that Lamar didn't play the last game of the, of the regular season. But the MVP is a regular season award. Dak Prescott has objectively better numbers than Lamar Jackson. If Dak Prescott was winning the MVP, rest assured the Cowboys' odds would be significantly higher. So I'm going to go with the paper MVP, Dak Prescott. I like the odds. It's plus 330 for the Cowboys to make the NFC. You can just take that one if you don't like the Bills. But I like the Cowboys. I think the Niners are beatable. I think the, the Ravens expose them. And uh, McCaffrey is not 100%. I think the 49ers are beatable. Listen, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But uh, I'm going Cowboys, Bills, 16-1. to 1, Throw it up there. You want to take uh, the Bills to win the Super Bowl. That's uh, a mean 650. You want to take Cowboys plus 330 to make the conference championship or to win the conference championship. Both of those are better odds than Zach's chalky bet of the Ravens and the Niners, that's that's going to be very hard to win. I like all of my bets better than yours, Zach. I'm just being honest. It's a it's a chalky bet, and I'm I'm not going to lie, Dan. If if I wasn't a 49ers fan and had to and and felt like I had to to, to will them, uh, I would go with the Bills too. I think the Bills have a real shot, but the the Cowboys is a little bit little bit more of a stretch. Makes it makes it interesting, but I can't say anything. The last time you made an interesting bet was the the Panthers to beat the Falcons, and look what happened. Right. 
I was right. I was also right. Congrats to me. Uh, I said our best bet of the year in the preseason pick show, the futures with Mike Kravchenko. I said Rams over six and a half wins was my bet of the year. And I'm like, this is a championship pedigree team. I'm not really much has changed. I still have Stafford, still have McPay, still have Aaron Donald, still have Cooper Cup. I didn't even know that Puka Nakua was a thing. I did know that, not know that Kyron was going to be good, but they weren't, they weren't tanking. They weren't thrown in the tank with all those stars. So chalk that up. Listen, I mean, this is not a betting show, but your boy has been pretty hot. So um, I like, I like either the Cowboys or the Bills to be in the Super Bowl. If you want to play it safe, um, those are some pretty good bets. Those are some uh, some decent odds. I'm not I'm not buying the hype on the chalk bandwagon. And very rarely do we have full chalk that gets to the Super Bowl. So we shall see. Okay, I think that'll do it for us, Zach. Uh, thank you for joining me on this lovely Friday. Uh, and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna experiment with these Saturday releases. We're trying to find a, a consistent day for our release, but you know, as life gets busy and I got to pick up the kids at school and do a lot of other fun stuff my my world is very crazy uh friday releases seem to be pretty good and zach is zach's got his themis books out oh yeah my my wonderful huge themis book for the best bar prep company in the universe dan universe the universe shout out to themis shout out to uh rebecca petrelli themis is an official sponsor of the new york law school soccer negotiation competition which is taking place in should know this i think it's march but um if you want details on how to compete on that uh certainly feel free to reach out to us i have the, the post somewhere up on my linkedin uh, or my instagram that is open we have mls judges we have some pretty high-ranking people in the soccer world participating um but all all good okay let us uh let us end here i think that's it zach I, also before i forget we can cut this if i'm wrong did you just graduate i did graduated in december early december so it's been about a month of uh, being out of law school officially, although not done with studying as I've been dealing with 20, I think it was 23 pounds of famous books to study for the bar. So be sitting for that in February. Congratulations, my man. We will talk. We will chat. We will talk bar prep. Um, and I'm happy to hook you up with the fine folks at Themis. Just be like Zach, get Themis and crush your exam. Um, okay, that'll do it for us here. Kind of detrimental for all of us. Wish you a very happy weekend and good luck on your NFL futures bets. Unless you're riding with Zach, in which case, bad luck. Okay, that'll do it for us here, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct. Detrimental, except the troll. Not a good week for you. Goodbye.